he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. get me a gay mickey gotta get a gay well hello and welcome to another episode of in the details a celebration of nuance where each week or with whatever varying frequency i'm at at this point in the year i queen out on all of the acting choices micro moments and magic in the minutiae that make a scene great my name is colin drucker your incomparable reign as barbara bel gettys continues and it has been a busy, busy season of life. Uh, I am super gooped to be in October because October, as I've established last year in my first year of doing in the details, is my annual time of year to focus on horror movies and all of the nuances and acting choices in the horror genre that I love. And so I'm thrilled. And that's obviously what we're going to be talking about today. Um, today's focus is on two interesting final mom moments, which... Uh, One is one I just saw recently, and one is another that I have been in love with for a while. So we're going to get to them very quickly in case you're interested. Um, I There's so much going on right now, and I just want to give you that context so you know what is the iceberg underneath the person queening out on Final Moms and horror movies today. I am sitting in an apartment full of boxes. I am moving as of the day I'm recording this. I'm moving tomorrow. So I'm about 90% packed up, except for my little podcasting corner. I'm moving from Brooklyn to Astoria, which I'm really excited about. Brooklyn was a good run, but I've lived in Astoria before. Um, And for people who don't live in uh, New York, Astoria is a neighborhood in Queens um, that I really love. And it's super neighborhoody, and it's it's great. I love it. And so I'm going back to Astoria, which... Uh, again, as I said, I lived there before, and I feel like all of the life that happened in between me moving to Astoria and moving back to Astoria um, has been an incredibly long journey to go back a relatively short distance. But I think that's just how life is. The good news about distances is that I'm going from what New Yorkers would consider a long-distance relationship with my boyfriend, Jonathan, Uh, who you may remember from the Fun Mom Broadchurch episode, who lives in Astoria, uh, to now I am a 10-minute walk up the street on the way to the train. So that makes things a whole lot easier. I'm very excited, especially like going into the winter. Like I am gooped to be snowed the fuck in and just be like, oh, I need to traipse through the snow to go take care of my cat or go check on his dog. You know, I am... it's like you can play that snowed-in fantasy, but you're not really snowed-in, and, like, the bodega's open. Um, anyway, so that's all really exciting. That is not the only big news going on in my life right now. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on with All Right Mary. Uh, we're currently doing Dragula and Drag Race UK, which is great. I'm having a lot of fun, and then, you know, all, a whole bunch of other things that'll come out soon. And uh, I was involved in another little project that I don't feel like has been fully announced, but it is Best Supporting Actress Related. And um, finally, amid all of this chaos and all of this business and all of this life happening, I, I'm throwing more, more wood on the fire, so to speak, because, you know, like, what the hell else am I doing with my life, you know? But I am 
launching very shortly, actually, in just a few days on October 9th, a new podcast. And one that if you are a fan of In Details, A Celebration of Nuance, I think you will indeed also be a fan of. Uh, It is, of course, dedicated to one of my favorite topics, the Best Supporting Actress. And uh, it is called, of course, The Best Supporting Podcast. So uh, I'm also not doing this all by myself, which I am so, so, so happy about. We have already recorded our first few episodes, so I already know that we are off to like a rousing start, but I am joined by none other than squirrel friend and very bad gay, Nick Kachanov, and two-time in the details guest, Nick Kachanov. In fact, if you listen to our episode, Best Supporting Amy, I think in some ways that is kind of a a pilot episode, a beta, a prototype of what Best Supporting Podcast is, except I think Best Supporting Podcast is that, you know, times 100. I think it's just been so much fun. I mean, all of this podcasting that's going on in my life right now, including even, you know, in my day job, but that's a whole other tangent. Like, I'm really enjoying it, and I love in the details. And with so much going on, I haven't been able to kind of get back to this as much as I want to. Um, But, and, you know, add me to a list of content creators giving you excuses for why they're not putting out content on a regular basis but best supporting podcast is a joy to sit down and do nick and i are having a blast we have basically already recorded i think three episodes so far and i mean it's 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 just lovely so Say what you want about 2019, say what you want about these times in America, but there are these glimmers of light and hope, and in my life, it is the best supporting podcast, and a whole bunch of other things. Like, I'm moving, come on. Like, I'm moving, let's, it's like, oh, it's such a, it it is, it's it's definitely an improvement, and where I'm at now is great, but it's a two-bedroom apartment, it has central air, it has a refrigerator that makes ice, and dispenses water, and has a light. If you don't live in New York, those might be like givens, but living in New York, this is big deal, huge. So um, anyway, I'm just riding that high, um, but let's get into what I want to talk about today. Let's get into some some spooky nuances that I want to discuss today. Um, let's start with, uh, you know, dance with the one that brought you, so to speak, the one that I thought we were just going to talk about today, which is, of course, D. Wallace as Donna in Cujo. So this, of course, is from 1983. And we all know Cujo is based on the book by Stephen King. And pretty much the central focus of the movie, what it all boils down to, is a mother and her young son trapped in a broken down Pinto while a rabid St. Bernard tries to kill them. It's such an incredible set piece. And like I've watched, the whole movie is actually worth watching. I think sometimes I, I kind of, lob off all of the parts that don't involve D. Wallace and Danny Pintaro in a Pinto because I'm like, oh God, what is all this? Like, I don't care. I don't care about the husband. But when I kind of watched it again and paid attention to why all of that was there, it's it's this interesting architecture around a really sort of mundane uh, situation. You know, like for there's all of these little pieces of the puzzle that led to this moment. And I think seeing that construction and seeing you know, all of these almost random things happening, one domino setting off another that leads to Donna and 
Tad being, you know, stuck in this car with this dog, like for these two, you know, stories to kind of intersect at this point, no pun intended, intersect, I don't know, call her mama. Um, I, I appreciate all of that setup. You know, I, I think about if they were to remake Cujo, they'd have to, you know, address the cell phone issue and all that stuff. But I feel like it would be almost like the remake to When a Stranger Calls, which I appreciated that the remake really just focused on it. It basically blew out the first kind of 25 minutes of the movie, um, which, of course, we talked about last year during um, all of the spooky nuances of October. Uh, the calls are coming from inside the house, which is in that scene from When a Stranger Calls with Carol Kane is amazing. Totally recommend listening to that episode if you haven't. But the remake obviously just kind of took that portion of the movie and stretched it into this whole feature length, not very memorable experience. And so I think that that doesn't mean that if they did the same thing with Cujo, it would also fail. I would be totally fine if that was the if that was what the whole movie was. It makes me think of what's that movie with Blake Lively, like The Shallows. I think that's essentially Cujo in the water, right? I so I appreciate that that it took its time to kind of set that all up because we also get very attached to these characters and there isn't just that that spectacle of just, you know, oh my god, there's this woman and this kid and there's this dog and how they're going to get out of here. It's this woman whose story we know and and this her kid who we've grown to, you know, be concerned about and to see kind of the the dark world and the darkness he already lives in you know um to kind of see those very fully realized characters put into the situation i think that's kind of core to what makes this compelling because it's not like it's this non-stop assault from cujo there's these kind of set pieces of attack but a lot of it is just d wallace alone in the car with danny pintaro Sometimes not even with no dialogue, you know, just having to emotionally process what she's going through and and strategize and, um, you know, just kind of, I don't know. I, I think in some ways there's this sense as, the, as it goes on and they're trapped in this car longer and longer is it's like watching the hope slip away and watching all of the reliances on elements of the mundane world they live in to save her you know like sitting there it's like someone's eventually going to come home something's eventually going to happen like life is going to keep moving and at some point it's going to find me here and it's only going to take a little while you know something has to happen that's just how life works and that's how it's been working up until this point but then it's like all of those dominoes kind of fell in a certain way so that life was just bypassing them in this you know in this sort of dirt you know, dirt driveway outside of a barn in an empty house. So that, you know, it's like, what is it, like two and a half days go by that they're stuck in this, you know, in this car? It's, you know, I think what we're really watching in a lot of ways is also Donna, as she's losing kind of hope and and reliance on something kind of coming to save her, is what it takes for her to have to finally do this herself. And, I think if we didn't see that breakdown, her final fight against Cujo would, it wouldn't really make sense, right? Like, I think it would be really kind of exciting to see her go full Ripley and just go, you know, fucking kung fu on this dog. I mean, not that I want to see, not that I want to see a dog get hurt, obviously. But it is crazy how this movie does, like, make you, it brings out that, like, primal like oh god just kill it you know it, it, and it's like oh that, that part of yourself but I think that's what Donna has to channel channel and I think what she has to 
where she has to reach before that final confrontation. And so it makes sense, uh, particularly because it comes down to, you know, her son dying. And I think of the many nuances I love of her performance in this, I, uh, and the, and the moments that she has in this movie, I am kind of jumping ahead a bit to call out the moment when she realizes like, Oh, I'm, I'm losing my son. Like Tad's going to die here. And the way that she just turns and there's like no hesitation and she just gets out of the car. Like it's okay. Well, I'm going to lose him. Okay. Well, I have nothing to lose at this point. And we see that moment. We see when she realizes, okay, this needs to happen. And it's not this big bombastic moment. It's not this declaration or this speech. It is this very quiet, almost mundane, I think to use that word again in a new context. And this is this mundane body language where she just turns and gets out as if she was in a casual situation, because I think what we're seeing is just the primal switch on. We're seeing this is the mother who needs to pick up the car to pull her kid out from under it, you know? What I think is really the most harrowing scene in the movie is the the attack, you know, when, uh, when Cujo attacks her and uh, she gets out of the car and then and oh well i have to also mention this is that when she's making the decision to get out of the car it's again all of this wordless you know journey of her finding the the handle for the door and getting it to fit and you know kind of listening like a mechanic or listening like like someone breaking into a bank of you know as she's trying to turn the door the handle and push the door open trying to navigate her way out of this car and there's this one moment in there where it, it seems like the door is stuck, like it's just not going to happen. And she just has this like, oh, shit moment. And I I kind of think that those little moments, those oh, shit moments are are not – they could be moments of giving up. Or there's those are the moments where you kind of gather this potential energy and just like, oh, like – oh shit, no, this is not happening. And then you kind of push through. And that's kind of what happens in this moment is she pushes through and like the door just like falls off. But I also, what I love is there's all of this monitoring going on while she's doing this where we're seeing her and we're feeling her pay attention to the sounds around her. We, we're definitely watching an animal navigate its way out of a trap knowing that its predator is somewhere in the near distance. One of my favorite shots is when she gets out of the car and she's, you know, the lighting is so amazing. It's just this like, you know, early evening light. And she's, of course, just like sweaty and dehydrated. And, you know, she's she kind of turns from like looking around, looking for Cujo. And she kind of turns sort of facing the camera. And we just see all of this like abject terror on her face. I mean, she is what this makes me think of is like Sandra Bullock in Gravity. She is just like free floating in this completely inhospitable environment. And of course we know immediately that Cujo is there because the movie doesn't pull any punches. Well, it pulls a lot of punches, but there's this great shot, basically Cujo's point of view as her little, as her little pumps step out of the car. And for what it's worth, I love that Donna keeps her pumps on pretty much the entire movie. But so we know that the dog is there. It's now just a matter of, of where is the attack going to come from? And we think that like Cujo's like going to come around the front of the car. And then there's this shot where instead of having him jump out at her, it's like, Oh my God, we see Cujo come out from behind and we know he's there before she knows. And then she turns and there's just, Oh my God, the, the look of horror on her face. And then this kind of zoom in on her as the dog attacks it. 
this scene, this moment is like every time I watch it, I I just like I don't want to say it goes on too long because it's not really that. It's not that I want it to end or I think it's it's indulgent. I think that it's it just doesn't let up. It just doesn't um, it doesn't pull away from like just how awful this is. It doesn't give us a break in the way that it was giving us breaks before because this isn't this isn't the first time Cujo attacked the car. But there has never been this kind of like direct attack. You know, he's he's jumped on top of it. He's bashed himself into the door. But this is the first time where um, he's made contact. And, of course, he, you know, dives onto Donna and is attacking her on the front of the car. And it's, I mean, the filming of it, the, the frenetic camera work, the music. Dee Wallace is just, it's not that she's like screaming unbelievably. There's... It's like I kind of think that's the sound someone would make in these situations. There, there's like a gritting teeth situation um, that, I mean, of course it grows. Like the hysteria that she goes through in this scene, it just makes me think what it must have taken to film this. Because, of course, like if there's a great you know making of behind the scenes of Cujo where they talk about just all of the conditions of making this movie. And first of all, you know, it's like set in the middle of summer, um, but it was like freezing cold where they were filming. And, you know, to kind of create this illusion of this dog, they had like five different methods of, um, of doing this. And so, and sometimes it involved obviously having a real dog. And so it would take a lot of getting that dog ready to do the scene. And then um, D. Wallace and Danny Pintaro would just have to switch on and switch on to these like really emotional heights, these Tony Collette and Hereditary 27 heights. And it so so when I think about that, I mean the storytelling of the scene is harrowing to watch, but to think about the filming of it is, I mean, it's when I think about like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and how harrowing that shoot was. You know, I think about what Marilyn Burns went through, and yeah, Dee Wallace just, I mean, this 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 attack is just so it's brutal in an emotional way, and I think what what gets me the most because like she manages to get the dog off of her by kneeing him in the balls, which was really gratifying. And then, you know, she gets the, the door open and she manages to push the dog away with the door and she gets in the car, but then it's when Cujo dives into the car after her and, you know, and then Tad starts screaming and he's clutching his little monster words, which is like a really sad little nuance. And she's, Oh God. It's like she, she is, we, we really kind of feel like, I feel like we know what she's going through both from like the camera work and from just her, you know, letting it out, all of these emotions out, all of this screaming, all of this crying. And the, I think there's these, these flashes where we get like a clear shot of her face. And when we see kind of the, um, the anguish and the grit that she's showing, it's really, really powerful. Um, especially, you know, when she finally gets a hold of that water, you know, that the the thermos and she starts hitting Cujo with that there's just this this determination there but then oh god so then you know the, the I think the what just sends the scene into overdrive is then when Cujo gets a bite into her leg and she just gives out that um that blood curdling just like a long four minute scream four minute four second you know four year or whatever and I I think that is it's such a scary moment, you know, because of course here's like a rabid dog, you know, biting. Like, what is the implication of that? You know, now is the clock ticking for Donna as well, and so I think you know, watching her fight this dog out of the car and getting the door closed. I mean, 
it's like I get like emotional watching it because I'm like, oh, like it just won't relent. Um, this like this terrorizing moment won't relent. And I I've always loved the nuance of how she then falls back when she gets the dark, the door closed and she falls back against the seats with like her arms up. There's this sort of fetal position she kind of falls into as she's sobbing. It's uh, you know, it's funny. She actually it's funny. Um, it's coincidental, I guess. We see that body language again towards the end of the movie, um, which uh, takes us to, yes, the, the, that final confrontation with Cujo, where, yeah, she gets out of the car. There's this bat, this act one bat that's been kind of sitting out there waiting for her to get a hold of it. And she finally gets it, and she holds the bat, and she faces Cujo, and she has this moment that I maybe is like, I feel like this line reading and this this moment is just so indelible to me that... It's like I want a supercut of these moments, but it's when she's like holding the bat and she stares at him and she says, "Well, come on then." And I, I, I appreciate that she gets that point of like, "Okay, then let's fucking do this." And I mean, and I love, I just, I love a movie that is about a final mom. You know, Poltergeist, Joe Beth Williams, Hereditary, Tony Collette. Um, you know, Valerie Harper, don't go to sleep, rest in power, Valerie Harper. Let's just also mention that, um, you know, she lived an amazing life. She, you know, I think she had a real good run. So, um, did some great work, but it was also amazing and don't go to sleep. And I, and, and I definitely think, yeah, D Wallace and Cujo is so quintessential final mom. And I think what comes with that, you know, is the nuance of that is this, it it's this primal mother thing. It's like that becomes the fuel that she fights with. And I think that that is really fascinating. I think that it it adds to this concept of, of the final girl and really this concept of the final woman, which I think a lot of these, obviously these women are, I would also consider the category of final woman, kind of as I saw Jamie Lee Curtis in The New Halloween, which, you know, is a little disappointing, but that's, you can go listen to that episode as well. But I think here, like, that becomes where she finds the strength is to save her kid. And this final fight against Cujo, I mean, she's just, like, she is, and we never see it, which I think is well done It's and very obviously intentional, that we don't see her hitting the dog with the bat, but she knows that she's just, like, swinging at him, you know, repeatedly to the point where she breaks the bat on him. That is a very... It's just an incredible nuance, you know, like it's just it says so much what it says to me, because I guess you could read that as like, oh, my God, this dog is unstoppable, is that this woman is unstoppable. Like that is so hard to fucking break a baseball bat. I would assume I've never done it, but she will go to that length, that length to, to fight this dog off. And then, of course, you know, yeah, then he like dives on her and she just, you know, stabs him with it with the with the, you know, at the end of the of the bat. And it's a, I want to say like a fairly brief showdown. And I, I think if they did a remake, they would have made the showdown much longer. I think some of the stuff that happened with the cop that eventually shows up, I could see those kind of set pieces happening with like the reimagined Donna. But I don't know if I needed all that. I think that this was enough to see her go. Like this was a lot. There's this one aerial shot where we, it's as if we're seeing just the bird's eye view. We're seeing this very like life as it's happening to go back to that theme we're seeing a life as it's happening view of Donna fighting off Cujo. And it's like, oh my God, this is just this woman fighting off a rabid dog while her kid dies in the car. Like, oh my God, like what, like what a bleak moment in humanity that's just happening. 
you know, that is a part of like these mundane things happening in this day. This is one of the things happening. And I think that shot's really powerful just to, to reinforce that. So then, of course, she she kills Cujo, but then, you know, I think an element of the final mom is that her her nightmare isn't over because now she has to save her son. And, of course, the cop has been killed, but she finds his gun and she goes back to the car. And there's that moment where she's like, she can't get into the car and uh, she can't get the doors open. And so then there's Tad laying there under the hatchback window and she just, you know, starts taking the gun, the butt of the gun, and just bashing it against the glass. And, I mean, not for nothing, but I feel like the passenger side window was pretty fragmented. That may have been an easier option, but it, it didn't It didn't lead to a moment as amazing as this. This slow motion of her, like, bringing the gun down on the window and it smashing and exploding in this rain of glass. And then the way that she kind of turns away and again has this body language with her arms. She's holding the gun in one hand and her other hand, I think, is just kind of like splayed out. But it's um, it's it's this it's this body language. It's this anguish of these like bent arms against her body. I'm not really describing it well, but you should see Cujo. So um, then you'll know what I'm talking about or you do. And the way that she like throws her head back and screams and it's all done in this like slow motion echo. This to me is just a dedication to Dee Wallace's acting. This is just a moment of pure acting. It's it, it's almost strange. It's like she she has this moment where earlier we saw her just kind of casually leave the car and there was no dramatic moment of, oh, my God, I have to save my kid. But then in this moment, I think all this emotional catharsis comes with the breaking of the glass um, everything that she's held together, you know, to, to kill this dog and get this kid is just like all coming out. Um, but then of course, you know, yeah, she's able to, to get Tad out of the car. And as we all know, um, or you might know, might not know is that in the original novel of Cujo, Tad dies. And, um, Stephen King had even said, you know, if I could go back and change anything, I, I'd save the kid, you know? So, and I think that was the right choice. I just think it would have been like, well, shit, Ugh, I didn't need that, you know? Um, but I, I think then, of course, yeah, there's that final confrontation when Cujo, like, dives through the window. And another element of Final Mom is, is that shot of, her, of Donna clutching Tad in one arm against her body and, like, holding the gun out with another arm. At that, you know, at that point, she is... She's like, she has been broken down to pure primal animal mother. And um, there's just like, just reach for the gun, turn and shoot this dog. Like it's, I really, I think that that adds so much emotional weight to what we're seeing that I feel like is important, you know, in, in terms of making a story interesting, in terms of making a horror movie interesting, I think this kind of character development, you know, and these, these emotionally informed choices and these ideas of like, you know, it being about her being a mother and and that being part of her nightmare, I mean, that's, I think, how you tell a new story. I think that's how you tell a unique story. Um, certainly one I'm interested in. One thing that I like to note is that Stephen King has said that of all of the performances um, from adaptations of his, he said that Dee Wallace is the best one and that, she, you know, she absolutely should have been nominated for an Oscar. Um, and that's saying that with, you know, Kathy Bates winning the Oscar for Misery, um, you know, I, I, I don't think he has very high opinions of The Shining. I think Shelley Duvall is really amazing in that. But I think that's really, really high praise. You know, seeing Carrie, Piper Laurie, and Sissy Spacek. Like, there's so many amazing performances. 
that are scattered in his you know adaptations but i see it i get what he's talking about i think that there is something about what d wallace is doing in this movie that yeah hits the same notes for me that joe beth williams does in poltergeist i think both of those movies are really interesting kind of companion pieces because they are about ultimately like these mothers who have to save their kids and like you know, the husband father shows up at the end, but there are these moments where it's really just about like, <laughs> it's just about, you know, uh, lifting up that hypothetical car to like, you know, pull your kids out, even when that car is, you know, rabid or um, haunted. <laughs> so uh, I really, and I appreciate both performances. I think they are, um, they both also just hit those emotional heights for me. And, um, you know, that's just, that's my drag. That's what I live for. Suburban moms, you know? So similar to that, a movie that I just saw on Netflix recently, and it was just kind of like a random choice. Um, I thought the description sounded interesting. The trailer was, you know, everything I needed to see. And it had a sort of best supporting actress in the lead role was this movie called He's Out There from 2018. Um, it stars Yvonne Strahovski, who I am familiar with i know other people love her from the handmaid's tale i know she's in that she's like the general's wife and i think has been nominated for sort of best featured actress for the emmys or golden globes a number of times um so i mean that was i mean obviously that was a draw that was that was really checking a box for me um this story and i'll just read the imdb description instead of like stumbling through some you know something i make up on the spot here um, on vacation at a remote lake house, a mother and her two young daughters must fight for survival after falling into a terrifying and bizarre nightmare conceived by a, a, psychopath, a psychopath. I'm reading it and I can't even get it right. So it's right here in front of me. So it is, um, I think it's Canadian, which if you know me, it is or at least somewhat Canadian. I love anything Canadian. I just love Canadian things, uh, Canadian people, Canadian things, um, but I, uh, I, I can't say that this was like an amazing movie. It was kind of strange. It, it's a little, and there's a lot of uh, child acting because there are her two daughters in it, played by these two, uh, I guess, real life sisters. The I can't pronounce this last name. There's a P N I O W S K Y Piniowski. Come on, like don't do this to me. I've already got Yvonne Strahovski that I maybe got right. In any event, lots of child acting that I'm not into. But she's she's really good. And in particular, I know this is kind of a spoiler, but um, I guess don't listen if you really want to see this movie. But there is, uh, there is a showdown between uh, Yvonne's character, Laura, and the killer at the end that is is very much reminiscent of Cujo, very much is... is uh, an example of final mom because here this woman has been she's been left for dead in the trunk of a car uh you know he like you know swung an axe into her side and just like left her there and you know part of you is like okay like this woman's not going to die this is not going to be up to like the kids to kill the killer or like he's going to kill them um i had hope that she'd pull it together you know and of course she does and in this final confrontation which is like in the morning so again much like Cujo, it's not at night it's during the day it's in the morning um, and she, I, you know, one of her arms is injured or she has one of her arms held against her body. So she's really doing all of this one handed and it's just, uh, it, 
it's 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 this relentless attacking of him that I think is is again so quintessential like final mom because she's trying to protect her kids and save her two daughters and so one handed like swinging this axe at him and stabbing him in the leg with this little knife and like just every time that he would like hit her or knock her down or fight back she you know she would just push through like she just was relentless I mean she knees him in the balls like twice of course Donna knees Cujo in the balls you know do what you got to do. But I think those shots of her like swinging the axe with one arm is it's just like so it's so cool. And I think in this movie that, again, isn't perfect, has some cool moments, but isn't perfect. This was just I I was so interested in how concise this final confrontation was, much like Cujo, and yet also how informed it was, you know, because it was this final mom and. Um, and she's, she really like, I think there's a lot of emotional weight in her acting and in her, like, especially like the final kill shot, so to speak. She really like brings it home. And again, all with one arm. But I think this is kind of what I'm looking for. I'm looking for these emotionally informed horror movies. I'm looking for these performances that people are bringing the same gravitas that they would to like a dramatic role to a horror movie. Cause of course it is a dramatic role, but you know, it can be both. You know, so um, I recommend he's out there maybe just, you know, so that you can see this performance. And I guess, you know, I need to start watching more of Handmaid's Tale. I've watched the first episode. She was in it and she was great. And uh, I'll keep going. But anyway, I think that's actually all I really had on the docket to talk about with you folks today. Um, Of course, there are more spooky nuances along the way this month. Despite all the changes and all the things happening, I'm going to try to get um, I got four episodes planned for this month. I want to get them all out to you before Halloween. So keep your peepers peeled uh, to your podcast app or wherever you do listen to In the Details because I am on Spotify as well if that is something you'd like. Um, anyway, I would also love to hear your thoughts on Cujo and on He's Out There and would love, I want to know your recommendations. What final moms do you love? I want to hear about final moms. Um, the best way to tell me about that is at in the details pod at gmail.com. You could also follow me and contact me on Twitter at Colin Drucker or on Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. Any of those work for me. Uh, a, a friendly reminder to check out the Best Supporting Podcast, uh, which I co-host with Nick Kachanov, which is coming out October 9th. Our first episode is Quintessential Best Supporting Actresses. So um, get into that, my friends. And otherwise, I will see you again for more spooky acting choices more eerie nuances and more witchy magic in the minutiae on in the details (laughs) bye